Blog Talk Radio. If tomorrow all the things were gone, work for all my love, and I had to start again. Today is the day. My dad gets out today. We're really grateful for President Trump and the First Step to Act. I understand that my daddy is very, very, very grateful to be coming home. It's been a very long journey of injustice, but we are very, very grateful for President Trump and creating the First Step to Act. And we thank you so much. And I'm proud to be an American. And I won't. I'm very thankful to God for the first step back that President Trump has given us. Uh, the African Americans have been waiting for this for a long time, and our brother is coming home. Thank you, President Trump. God bless From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, far from the plains of Texas, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, and New York to LA, well, it's right in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say. President Trump and the First Step Act. We just appreciate it, you know. I mean, President Obama had an opportunity to help us out. He refused. But uh, remember your three brothers that are still in chains, you know. We still got some guys that need to come out. So we just thank God for everybody being here. You know, this code speaks volumes that y'all out here. We appreciate you, okay? So uh, I just thank God, you know. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, we take another look at compassionate release denied in our criminal justice system. Why is that, and why does that continue to be a trend of cruelty in this nation? Hang on to your seats. We take off right now.
And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Kendrick Barnes, Sampson Riddle, William Williams, Dennis Merritt. Cliff is out tonight. And the entire AJC radio team dealing with this subject tonight as we have dealt with it for the last week. This is the conclusion of our series of compassionate release denied and the cruelty of our criminal justice system. And it, that I'll tell you right now, that covers a broad spectrum of topics, whether you're talking about the elderly that are locked up that shouldn't be, those that are ill, that are dying with terminal ill diseases that are stuck behind bars. When you're talking about the mentally ill, those that have failed to have treatment given but are locked up behind the wall. It goes on and on and on. And whether you're talking about the denial of medical treatment, of all these things, there is no compassion within our criminal justice system. It doesn't exist anymore. And I have to question, when did it ever exist? As we as a nation have begun to basically stereotype that the bottom line is the people that are behind bars should be there. And what happens to them doesn't matter. Uh, that's a problem. When you have people incarcerated who are blind and no risk to, to society, they're blind and crippled and whatever type of ailments that may ail them, but they are still stuck behind that wall. When a gentleman who is married to his wife for 50 years, an elderly person sits behind the wall and simply wants to go say goodbye to his wife for 50 years, and that is denied. There is a problem in this nation. Uh, we're going to deal with all those issues tonight. Again, feel free to dial into the show at 646-200-0628. That's 646-200-0628. Joining us again, our very special uh, friend, Cassie Monaco, will be joining us. as She is the reason uh, why we brought this show uh to begin with, as she began to share that story, uh, we wanted to look a little bit further of why there is little compassionate release uh, within the federal and the state prison level. William, your thoughts? You know, this is um, it's really a, it's an amazing topic. The more we, I dug into it, it really opened my eyes to see how cruel our, ju- our justice system is. Because uh, I was l- literally watching a clip today where they were actually have a hospice wing at Angola Prison. And so you got prisoners there that are terminal, and you got other prisoners that are taking care of them, and their family members are, are pleading, saying, you know what, these these our, our loved ones, you know, they're they're they have moments left in their lives. They've spent a lot of them have spent decades behind bars, and they won't even let them, you know, go home for for a compassionate release. They deny them, and this is amazing. The cruelty. That we've seen in this country in the, in the judicial system to literally say, you know what, we would rather them pass away in prison and being, you know, being taken care of by other prisoners instead of allowing them to sp- spend their last moments at home. It's amazing. It's amazing how cruel this system has become, and we need to do something about it. Yeah, and the fact of the matter is, I mean, it, it comes down to like uh, what the senator from Hawaii once said. He said the BOP, they have the theoretical power and authority to do all this stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is they don't exercise it. They don't want to exercise any of the authority they have to show some human decency, to actually show some compassion and exercise that compassionate release. Like you said, there's people that are, they're terminally ill. They, they can't see, they can barely walk. They're, some of them are wheelchair bound. So what, 
threat do these people pose to society? None. They just want to spend their last few days with some bit of dignity, some bit of, you know, um, human decency around Freedom. their fa- exactly around their family members that they love that they have been isolated from for, for like you said sometimes decades. These people are still trying to you know again they're trying to use them to fill a bed and to make money off of you know a human body behind the wall. There's no other reason for it but that that I that I can, or anybody else could see. Well, I'll tell you right now, the fact that you have a hospice, did I hear you right on that? Yes, absolutely. A hospice hospice wing wing. in prison. That is uncomprehendable. It, it It was amazing just the research because they were talking about Angola prison. And you're talking about 18,000 acres of prison, the size of Manhattan, a prison. Former plantation in Louisiana, and you had prisoners in there that have been there six decades. Did you say a former plantation? Yes, Angola prison in Louisiana. That's unbelievable. Well, I'll tell you right now, folks, this is becoming a huge problem. Uh, But the thing is, nobody's talking about it. And I'll tell you right now, the medical treatment in prison, period, is a joke. And if it's not done correctly in regular medical care, what makes you think hospice care is going to be any less humane? It's, uh, any, any more humane, rather. It's not. It's not. 646-200-0628. Folks, hang on. We're also going to be joined by Evelyn Reynoso. She's going to be joining us. Had an opportunity to speak with her today. She has a story to tell about the failure of compassionate release. And again, Cassie Monaco. Joining us at the bottom of our at the bottom of the hour. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or At the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-5673. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us. For the children, for they truly are our future. Say goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, Side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, 
children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. He must have thrown a thousand pitches teaching him to hit a home run. Spent countless Saturdays running routes so he could learn to hit an open receiver. Endless afternoons teaching him how to hit the three-pointer. But how much time have you spent teaching him what not to hit? Teaching boys that all violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. I wish I was in school. If only I had a math test today. Or a book report to give. I wish I was in school. I'll stay after class. I'll clean the chalkboard. I'll do extra homework. I'll skip recess. I wish I was in school. I wish I was in school. I really wish I was in school. School ends, but free lunches for your kids don't have to. Find your local food bank at feedingamerica.org slash summer meals for help. Together, we're Feeding America. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. History is important because it shows where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. 
It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to HAC Radio tonight. Tonight we deal with something that, again, as we said before on this program, uh, is a horror that these type of things are going on in America behind the wall. Compassionate release denied, door that's open, every window that may be lifted, it is denied. And we wonder why that people behind the wall many times are portrayed as acting like animals in cages because we have set precedents in how we treat other human beings. I am saddened by what I have heard and what I've learned in the last couple of weeks on this program, the cruelty, the lack of humanity that has kicked in to our prison system and how long has it been there in order for a culture to remain strong it has been over a period of time that things have gone ignored we're going to deal with that tonight ladies and gentlemen uh waiting to be joined by cassie monaco a friend of this network of this of this radio show and also going to be joined by evelyn uh, reynoso who i talked to earlier today uh dealing with cruelty Compassion, release, uh, uh, proper title for this show, Denied. Uh, And Dennis, as we go into this, uh, we have, I think as a society, have kind of covered our eyes or hid, turned away from difficult things in order not to have to deal with it. The problem here is that you're dealing with human lives. People are dying behind the wall. People are blind, they're crippled, they're vulnerable behind the wall, and we treat them as if this is normal behavior. What are your thoughts on this, and why, and what brought us to this point? I think what it is, there's no accountability. Uh, there's no consequences uh, for the BOP. Uh, they, get, they got too much power. And, and what happens when, uh, I mean, even when laws are passed, and they don't, uh, you know, concur with the laws, uh, we got problems. And, and it's not like our lawmakers are pushing the BOP to do the right thing. So that's why it's so is having a show like this and getting it out there to the people and letting them know that they really need to start speaking up. Don't wait uh, on, until it's in your, uh, your, your house, your household, uh, you know, until one of your family members are affected. Because this is so sad when you got people uh, that are eligible for uh, compassion, 
compassionate release and they die prior to, to, to being even offered it or, or, or afforded the opportunity to take, take advantage of it. And it's so sad because, again, I say no accountability. Yes. Nobody's no none of the lawmakers are, are, are in, a up, in an outrage at the fact that we put this law out there and you're blowing it off. Who are oh, you? Well, the bottom line is it is a culture within itself. And that's the problem. You can have laws on the books all the time, but if there's a separate culture within the prison system, yes, uh, that's as solid as concrete. You can't move it. I was reading this story here. James Michael Bowers was sentenced in 1990 to 30 years in prison for conducting and continuing criminal enterprise and drug distribution. His lengthy sentence also reflected his extensive and serious criminal history including plan which he had later abandoned to hire a hitman to murder suspected informants. Eleven years later, Bowers was dying of prostate cancer that had spread to multiple organs. Tumors obstructed his urinary tract and bowels, causing Bowers acute and disabling pain. His doctors told him he had no more than six months to live. The prison warden, however, turned down Bowers' request for compassionate release because even though he was dying, his criminal past included behaviors that could be repeated even in your state of illness. Thus, the safety of the public could be jeopardized by your release to the community. Bowers brought an administrative appeal to the warden, freely admitting he had done some terrible things. And he stated this, I offer no defense to the bad things I did during that terrible time. I will never harm or wish to harm on anyone, I promise you, warden. That's not my purpose, and I have no strength or inclination to even think of such things these days. I am a dying man. The warden denied the appeal, and Bowers died behind bars at the age of 63, while his appeal to the Bureau of Prisons Regional Director was pending. Can somebody help me with this one? Can it, it, it makes you wonder, are there any instances out there where they actually granted them their capacity, at least on their first time asking we're going to have research look at that. Yeah, because this seems just like this is, their, this is their modus operandi. They're not – you're guaranteed a denial, and, and they're not even going to look at what it – I mean, are they actually even looking at the circumstances? Are they just like, you know what, no matter what comes across my desk, no. It's, you're not caring about the people. You're not caring about what situations there are. They're, are they looking at the criteria? Or do they have legal experts or their attorneys look at the criteria? It's just sad because you're, you're waiting for these people – to die rather than let them go. And I can just imagine now with a lot of the elderly that are sick now waiting to be released. Well, you have this coronavirus now that could exacerbate that, that can make them even more prone to losing their lives. And they're, and they're not even going to take that into consideration, I don't think. Well, um, in this particular case, when he said to the warden, number one, when you're facing death, Everything that you think about, that you thought about, was important in your life. Criminal or non-criminal doesn't matter anymore. You got one thing in your mind, I am dying and I'm getting ready to die alone behind a prison wall. For the warden to come with a statement that cannot be supported by facts, that this man could still commit a crime in his illness as he dies in excruciating pain... He said it spread to his bowels and his intestines. He's going to just take the time out of that type of excruciating pain to commit crimes? No. There are no facts to 
support it. And ultimately, it was the truth because he, he died. He made a plea to this warden. He said, that is not my purpose. I have no strength or inclination to even think of such things. And he can be on GPS monitoring if that was the if case. If that was the case. But this man says, warden, I'm dying. Think of that by itself. Take everything else off the table. You are, you are dying a very painful death. And you know, without question, all your choices, all the things you've done are coming in front of you to remind you, man, I did it wrong in my life. If we cannot have a country of redemption, and this, we're not even asking really for redemption here. We're asking for mercy in a situation that's not a good one. Well, we're asking for what, what we're talking about, compassion. Well, just human kindness. Well, human kindness. I mean, when you think that someone has spent the bulk of their years behind bars, they've been fending for their lives they, in the conditions that they've been in. And we've talked about this. I mean, they're not in paradise here. These are prisons. The food is not fit for human consumption. Some of these guys have been in prison. They're locked up 23 hours a day. And so now they come to the time in their lives, they can see the end is near. And they just want a, a moment just to say, you know, to spend some time with their family and probably just to recognize and say, you know what, I wish I would have done it differently. Well, and I'm sorry. Well, you're going home to die. I'm not going home to have a vacation, to have a party. Right. I am leaving the institution of prison to die. And every one of us comes to the end of the road in our lives. We all face that. Mm-hmm. This man is pleading to say, can I die just with somebody that I know? Basically, he's accepting the death penalty. Is what he's accepting. The people on death row get one final meal. They get a visit from their loved one. He's asking for his final meal, his final visit. And the warden callously denied him. No, that's exactly right. And it's like, I was sitting here reading this article on the Marshall Project, and it says that 60%, 60% of these people that want to get a compassionate release are denied because of the severity of their offense or criminal history. Now, how long ago was it they even committed these crimes? Some of these people, that what they did way back in the day isn't even a crime, a felony, or anything like that anymore. It's barely, a, probably a misdemeanor nowadays. But because of how they were imprisoned and now how they're treated behind the wall... There, there's no mercy. There's no compassion. There's no nothing for them. I was also looking on here. It says that you know, 50% of the people that put in applications that are denied, they're dying in prison for nonviolent or uh, drug-related crimes. Nonviolent drug-related crimes. What kind of danger? Especially the, the one they were talking about here. It's a 94-year-old man, the oldest inmate in in the United States, today, 94 years old, and he gets denied compassionate release. What is a 94-year-old man going to do to anybody? He wants to go out there and maybe be a grandpa, great-grandpa to somebody for a week or two, maybe. He wants to go out there, like we were saying, and see a glimpse of humanity. But instead, no. We have these, like you said, callous wardens, heartless directors, people that look at him more as a number than a human being, and they deny him. Well, I, again, it is the culture of the, of the teachings of deputies, sheriffs, even at the county jail level. People are dying there. No compassion. We talk about the lady who gave birth to a child on a jailhouse cell floor. And she begged and begged for help as she screamed in pain. 
You're not telling me as a deputy, you didn't hear that woman screaming, giving birth to that child in that unit, in a county jail. You hear everything, every noise, everything behind that wall. And that is incompre- that's uncomprehendable to me, that a lady gave birth to a child on a cement floor, county jail. This is a failure of compassion. This is the culture that is set. We're going to play a clip for you right now that really dictates how the culture is with no compassion, definitely not compassionate release, but no compassion, period. Let's hear the clip. a 23-year-old flowery branch man who suffered two seizures while in the care of the Gwinnett County Jail disputes the official finding that his death was unavoidable. Chris Howard went into cardiac arrest back in February, hours after being admitted to the jail. Fox 5 I-Team reporter Randy Travis reviewed surveillance video, which raises some questions about how deputies handled Howard's situation. Your Honor, today, some of this may be difficult for some people to watch. Howard suffered from a rare disease called MCAD, which requires eating on a regular basis to avoid a death from low blood sugar levels. Well, jail video confirms he was fed shortly after arriving, but it also reveals something else, a nearly one-hour delay in getting to the medical unit, despite the insistence of medical staff. I just know that my son was healthy, and there's absolutely no way he should have went into this jail and not made it out alive. Robert Howard figured Chris had survived the danger zone of a disease that had already claimed the life of his first son when he was just five. Chris grew up to be athletic, popular, tall and lanky with chiseled good looks, a man constantly on the move. The only legal mistakes of his 23 years would turn out to be a drunk driving arrest on New Year's Day and a positive marijuana test on February 15th that landed him in the Gwinnett County Jail, a place from which he'd never regain consciousness. How often did Chris have to eat to make sure he didn't get sick? Well, we never even, you know, MCAD never even became an issue. We never even talked about it after the time that they were 13, 14 years old. MCAD can leave someone with dangerously low blood sugar levels if they don't eat regularly. All of the Howard children have MCAD. Howard says his son did not have a chance to eat lunch the day he failed his drug test at the probation office, but he says Chris had missed meals before as an adult with no issues. How much do you think MCAT had to do with his death? I don't think it had anything at all to do with it. He thinks the answer can be found on jail surveillance video. That's Chris sitting in jail admissions the afternoon he was brought in, chatting with others while eating a sandwich. Jailers knew about his condition. A few hours later, he's on the phone in a holding cell when suddenly he suffers a seizure and drops to the floor. Deputies and nurses quickly arrive, members of the jail's rapid response unit holding Howard down while he begins suffering a second seizure. As he starts to recover, the doctor on call orders Howard taken upstairs to the jail infirmary, quote, immediately. Nurses later told jail internal affairs investigators they made the same request. I told them I don't want anything to happen to this man down here, so... Deputies placed Howard in a transport chair and cuffed him. According to their reports, he was calm, smiling, and asked for some water. But instead of rushing him to medical, deputies decide to put him on the floor in cell 13 for observation, a direct conflict of the medical staff's instructions. Unfortunately, we have so many seizures around here, and it's kind of like, I related it to 
Chris Howard would spend the next 30 minutes rolling around cell 13, crying for help, unable to sit up, clearly weak, repeatedly trying to knock on the door to get someone's attention. Occasionally, a deputy would peer through the window, then move on. So he's sort of forgotten about for at least 30 minutes. It's one thing we've been looking for is answers. You know, it's been killing us for eight months. Just uh, it makes me mad. Makes me sad that he had to go that way. Eventually, a nurse finds him and insists again he be taken to medical. But for a second time, there is little urgency. They finally say, okay, yes, let's get him up to the infirmary. And they take 12 minutes to go change his clothes so they can put a jail uniform on him first. Why? Why would you do that? Why would anybody do that? Now officially dressed, deputies wheel him toward the medical unit called JJ. But Howard's legs keep falling off the chair. And that moment we didn't run with him, but we kind of speeded up our pace getting to JJ. And that's when the nurse was like, he doesn't look well. 50 minutes after he was supposed to be taken to medical, Howard had gone into cardiac arrest. Members of the rapid response team would work frantically to try to bring him back, but by the time he was taken to Gwinnett Medical, doctors determined the damage to his brain was irreversible. He was officially declared dead the following day. At the time Chris Howard was having his seizures here, his blood sugar turned out to be a normal 93. Could he have died from some cause other than MCAD? Could the delay in getting him medical care have somehow contributed to his death? Well, the medical examiner who conducted the autopsy says the answer to both those questions is most likely no. Dr. Michelle Stauffenberg ruled Howard's death a result of a complication of a genetic disease, MCAD. She wrote, his death had already begun before he arrived at the jail because of a missed meal. As for the 50-minute delay in getting him to the infirmary, she told the Fox 5i team, I don't know one way or the other. I would tend to believe it would not have had an effect. The process was already in motion. Considering his condition, are you certain that this 50-minute delay would have made a difference and you'd be alive today? I think it would make a difference with anybody. Chris was 23, um, very healthy guy, and I just don't think MCAT had anything to do with this. Well, the internal affairs case was officially closed last week. All jail personnel cleared of any wrongdoing. There's a new policy in place, though. Whenever someone from the medical staff says, take an inmate to the medical unit, they are to go immediately, even if they're not in a jail uniform. Makes sense, huh? That definitely makes sense. And in medical emergencies, we're always taught that every second counts. Right, right, right. Exactly. I mean, even if he had MedCAD or MCAT, and we don't know that that was the case, you know, 50 minutes would seem to make a big difference. I don't get where the doctor would say that that wasn't a factor. She just thinks that it had already started beforehand. But she also leaves herself a little bit of wiggle room. In the report, she also says it could be that he died from some other unknown cause. So she's not saying it's 100% MCAD. The family sure wishes that he had a chance, though, that 50-minute delay to perhaps get him somewhere else where a cardiac arrest could have been handled by someone of, you know, more medical training than just yeah. some 
deputies pushing him down the hallway in a wheelchair. I'm sure they'd appreciate some definitive answers as well. Yeah. Randy, thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Randy. There you have it. 23 years old. Tragic. You waited 50 minutes to get this young man help that he needed. We talk about compassion. They left him unattended for 30 minutes. And my question is, if there was no wrongdoing here, why did the rules change to take someone immediately to medical without changing their clothes? Why is that a new uh, standard now? If nothing was done wrong, why are the standards being changed? The bottom line is, this was a cruel murder, a failure to act. You are complicit. And he asked for help. They said he stood at the door, knocking on the door, asking someone to help him. Mind you, this man was not convicted of a crime. He was as innocent, innocent as you and I are today. He had been convicted. He didn't have his, he didn't have his day in court. But he was treated like a criminal. As a criminal, even if he had been convicted, this type of treatment is cruel, and there is no compassion here whatsoever. I believe uh, Cassie Monaco is now joining us, a uh, friend of this network, this organization, who is working tirelessly uh, for her to be an advocate and to advocate for others. It is my pleasure to introduce Cassie Monaco. Cassie, are you with us? I am Lamont. Thank you so much for having me again. It's such a such a pleasure and an honor. And our honor as well. Um, and had the opportunity to meet Cassie in person. And uh, terrific lady, husband, a terrific young man. And uh, mm-hmm. we're excited for justice coming your way as well. We're appreciative of that. And thanks for joining us on this very difficult topic um, that we're talking about tonight. As as we played that clip of that young man. We were talking in reference to the culture within the system uh, is why compassionate release is denied in federal and state prisons, because the culture is they don't deserve it. The culture is they Mm -hmm. don't matter. The culture is that who cares what happens to an inmate? Therefore, we don't care whether they hurt, whether they cry, whether they die. Uh, And that that is a sad, strong statement, but it is very much the truth. That is how inmates and prisoners are treated across this country. You can introduce yourself, Cassie, to our folks as we get further into further discussion about this. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm Cassie Monaco, and, and I do um, advocate. I started advocating about four years ago for people who are incarcerated because I saw it with my own eyes. I, I saw what was happening. I saw the dehumanization of men and women, the lack of care, um, the lack of not only just 
caring about a person, but also the lack of health care, the lack of compassion, empathy. You know, a person could sit there and be having a heart attack, and they just look at him. And in all actuality, they would rather that person die than That's offer them help because because it's more cost-effective for the BOP. And Cassie, on the story you told us, um, and I'm trying to remember uh, with the young man whose wife died in 50 years of marriage, he yeah. was unable to go to funeral. Did, did you tell me what his situation is now? Um, he is released. He, he, okay. He's released. And um, he's been out for a few months now. And uh, he's living in an apartment in Nebraska okay. by How's himself. He- yeah. We've corresponded through mail. And he seems to be doing okay. I'm sure it's a you know a very difficult transition for him. Sure. And, and imagine never been able to even say goodbye to your wife, your wife of 50 years. Yeah, I was curious how he was doing. Um, and when you talk to him again, um, we love to have a conversation with him uh, when he's ready. Oh yeah. Are- okay, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Everybody will fall in love with him. He's just such a lovely man. Just a, just a good man. A good gentleman. Our prayers and thoughts are with him. Uh, how long ago did his wife pass? Um, now let me think because my husband's gone. I'm going to say about a year and a half. About a year and a half well, ago. That's an open wound for sure. Uh, yeah, really- it is, especially when you never had that closure of being able to hold your wife's hand, you know, during her last breath to, you know, tell her, I love you as she's going back home, right? Right, right. That's, um, yeah, that's got to be a constant pain in the heart. Now, your organization, Cassie, uh, is we're going to bring a young lady on by the name of Evelyn if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. So I talked to her earlier today. I want you to hear her story. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks about the cruelty uh, that she has been dealing with. We're going to bring her on now to join in this conversation. Uh, Cassie, Evelyn, are you oh, with great. us? Yes, hi. Good evening. Hello, how Evelyn. are you guys? We're doing good. Hi, how are you? hi Evelyn. Hi, how and, are you? Yes. I, uh, I would like you to share your story, Evelyn. I talked to you earlier today. Uh, I was moved really to tears uh, with what you have gone through. And I want you to and let me make it clear to our listeners out there that cruelty has nothing to do whether you're guilty or innocent of any crime that you're in prison for. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I may, no. you, you may be guilty of a crime, but does it give the system the right of cruelty and inhumane actions to you? The fact that a person is sentenced to the prison, whether it's state or federal prison, they have been punished by a judge. A judge has meted out that punishment. The problem is, is that when you begin to run into cruelty behind the wall, it is unacceptable to add upon that punishment. Inhumane treatment Mm -hmm. of inmates and prisoners within our system. So let me be clear, because there are people may think, well, they were guilty, so they had it coming. That's not how this democracy works. It just doesn't work that way. And just like you can, if I go in a prison and I kill somebody, I can be charged with murder. Doesn't matter where, mm-hmm. whether I'm in 
prison or on in my house out of prison. It is wrong mm-hmm. no matter how you look at it. And the way people treat people, like this young man, he was in county jail. He had been convicted of a crime, and they basically were complicit in his death because they refused to give him medical care. They took 50 minutes to not even get him upstairs, wanted to put him in a jailhouse jumpsuit before they transported him. He suffered, I believe, in that clip, two seizures, ultimately taking his life. Mm-hmm. Um, unacceptable. Evelyn, I'm going to give you the floor. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? Evelyn Reynoso. Reynoso. I think I was close on that. Okay, good. I wanted to make sure I didn't mm-hmm. do any injustice to your name. Evelyn, go ahead. I'm going to give you the floor. Then Cassie and I and, and our, our group here, we're going to discuss it. Okay, go ahead, please, and tell us about your situation with compassionate release being denied. And my husband, Pedro Reynoso, is um, suffering colon cancer at the prison. Regardless of his innocence or guilt, my husband is innocent. He was not in the country when he got convicted of this crime, when this crime occurred. Okay. He was not in the state of Philadelphia. He was in the Dominican Republic when these crimes occurred, these homicides occurred. Because he doesn't have fluent English, he didn't know any defense of what to do whatsoever. Meanwhile, in 2015, he got diagnosed with colon cancer of the third stage. The prison system do what they do. He's getting the symptoms back. He got cleared off of it back in maybe two years ago, but he has the same symptoms. His stomach is hard. He has the same bowel movements. He has the ulcers in his stomach, in his mouth. He has lost appetite and nothing done. Like, they send him to the to the sick place, and they bring him back, drink some um, Tums, and go to your cell. That's it. Did you say Tums? When he, yeah, they give him Tums, anti-acid reflex. All right, go ahead. When he got diagnosed back in 2013, he had to throw up his bowel. He couldn't even walk out of his mouth, and he got diagnosed mm. um, third-staged. Yeah. So his symptoms are all coming back. I call everywhere, and I, I get no response. And what prison is he in right now? Phoenix State Prison. Phoenix State Prison? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pennsylvania. How long has he been locked up? 26 years. March 23rd. It'll be 26 years. And you're saying that during the commission of the crimes that he was convicted of, he uh, when he, he was, was not and he he was not in the country. No, ten alibi witnesses saying that he was in the Dominican Republic. So how did they get that on? Crimes, the the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Yes. What could I tell you? I I don't know. I don't know the system. This is what happened to him. He was in the Dominican Republic. The stamp pad on his passport says July 13th, 1991. Returning back July 27th, 1991. These kids were murdered July 23rd, 1991. Unless you can catch the bus to the Dominican Republic and come back and you don't get a stamp pad, then he committed that crime. But you got to go through the U.S. border. Well, I'm with you on that. Um... And he's innocent, you know. We try to get him commuted in in December twentieth, and they held it under advisement. That's all. I mean, we're just sitting. I just don't want my husband to die in the brick walls by himself. Well, I'm so sorry to hear that. And with that, <laughs> what tells you again about the system here in the United States? This gentleman's mm-hmm. passport is stamped. Do you mm-hmm. understand? That? Stamped. 
ladies and gentlemen, he is nowhere in the United States. Mm-hmm. And because his English is not too well, they arrest this man. He can't really def- What in the world is that about? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 26 years of this man's life. And he has alibis and affidavits that he was not present during this crime. Ticket, and ticket, now, airline oh. ticket. Bought a land in the Dominican Republic July 17th, 1991. Baptized his son in July 1991. Proof of people that, come, that, that gave down alibis that he was in the Dominican Republic. A child was born in 1992 that he was there. How do you cross the border unless you're coming in the bus? In the bus? There is no bus to the Dominican Republic. No, oh, this is this. So you're telling you. so you, so the system says you're you you came through the border, but the federal government never stamped your 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 passport, right? That's unbelievable. That's and then the guy that was ID'd, the guy that was ID'd, identified was the guy with no mustache. My husband had a thick, blown mustache four days after the murder. How do you grow a mustache that big in four you days? Don't. You don't. All right. Not even in in the Simpsons. You say, you say not that even again? in the Simpsons. Not even the in the Simpsons. Come oh, on. This is the problem yeah, with this. Commonwealth. The problem is with the Commonwealth when they make a mistake they don't want to admit to it. Let me ask you a question. So I want to go back to and and that's a big deal, ladies and gentlemen. Uh-huh. Man's not. In, he has proof he's not even here. They still convict this man. Mm-hmm. They convict this man 26 years ago. They lock him up. He's nowhere in the country when you convict him. But that's Mm-mm. where you get into racial. No, he, racial. he came He came back to the country. He came back to the country. But he was, but, but he was not here. But he wasn't here doing the commission of these crimes. No. Correct? No. He yeah. left the Dominican Republic July 13th, 1991. These, these people were murdered July 23rd, 1991. It's Passport is stamped July 13, 1991, returning back July 27, 1991. So how was he uh, pegged as a suspect? I mean, what, did someone say they saw him? or I mean, what evidence did they yeah. have? Yeah, they had two witnesses, two crackheads, a witness, mm-hmm. and then they couldn't, they couldn't identify him at the court, and then they came back and said it was him. But then when they... When they when they um, ID'd the suspect, they said the, the the guy that killed the people had shaved mustache. Pedro had a full-grown mustache baptizing his son on the 27th of July. How do you grow a full mustache from the 23rd to the 27th? I'm with you. This is what I want to do. I'm going to get into the medical condition of your husband, Evelyn. Uh, we want to talk about that. Uh, there was a request for compassionate release given his diagnosis. Is that correct? Yes. All right. I want to talk about that. We're going to take a quick break. Hang on the line, ladies. Uh, Cassie, Evelyn, hang on with us. We're going to bring you right back on the other side of the break. Ladies and gentlemen, compassionate release denied in our criminal justice system. Cruelty of our criminal justice system. The story gets bigger and bigger every time we talk about it. Feel free to dial into the show at 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628. This is AJC Radio taking a look at a criminal justice system that has failed. This is AJC Radio.
Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Because I'm 16, I can't drive at night. Because I'm 16, I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night. Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents. Because I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent. At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone. Because I'm 16, I can't buy a lottery ticket. I can't vote. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I can't join the military. Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record. If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I could participate in this video. But I can go to an adult prison. But I can go to Rikers Island. But I can be sent to Attica. My name is Michael Corriero. I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation that automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that. Last week, my father sent me to my room. Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult prison. We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York. You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, their concerns, and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say the prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is nine out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true, tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big Pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation. 
costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for them to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we have, again, concluding our series on compassionate release denied in America's justice, criminal justice system. We are, I'm very saddened tonight, after hearing Evelyn's brief description of the injustice that her husband has suffered. 26 years behind bars for a crime he didn't commit. Collaboration of his location in the Dominican Republic, a passport stamped in and out of the country, a airline ticket collaborating that. He is now, I believe, if I heard correctly from Evelyn, stage three cancer fighting for compassionate release to a man that never should have been locked up 26 years. When I tell you the culture of this nation and its criminal justice system is broken beyond words. Cassie Monaco brought to our attention the failure of compassionate release to a man that was married to his wife for 50 years who was suddenly taken and was unable to come home and say goodbye to his wife of 50 years. This is not only compassionate release denied, it is cruelty at its highest level. It is inhumane at its highest level. And these are just a few stories that we have heard. What can be done about it? We'll discuss here in this hour of this show. Joining us again, Cassie Monaco, excuse me, and Evelyn Reynoso, she's back on the line with us. Ladies, are you there? Yes. Who was, I think that's Cassie. I think, yeah, Cassie's here. 
Evelyn, I, I you there? Here. Okay. Yes, I'm here. Uh, thank you, ladies, so much for joining us tonight. And uh, let me get Cassie's opinion on Evelyn's story. Evelyn, I mean, Cassie, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, this man has well, clear evidence. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead, Cassie. Oh, no, go ahead. I'm, I'm just like, I'm sitting here. I just, I feel so uh, badly for Evelyn. Evelyn, uh, does your husband have a life sentence? Yes, he has two consecutive lives. It was double homicide. Okay, okay, yeah. His his story reminds me so much um, of uh, Colin Warner, who was sentenced to life um, for a murder in uh, York, and he was innocent, and it took 21 years to get him released. But mm-hmm. with your um, husband, so you have filed for compassionate release, and it was denied, correct? We didn't file compassionate relief. We filed um, commutation with conviction, okay. and it was held under advisement. It wasn't. Advisement. It wasn't denied, and it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't accepted. You know, it wasn't given. It was held under advisement until further notice. And Evelyn, okay, it was held so under it's advisement. still pending. Yeah, it's still pending. Commutation with the conviction, which he didn't convict the crime. Committed the crime. Right. Well, can I offer you also a suggestion? Yeah. Um, I want to offer you a suggestion. I would be remiss if I did not mention um, our friends, um, FAM, fam FAM.org, Families Against Mandatory Minimums. I'd actually posted about them today. They... um, they have a clearinghouse of lawyers that work pro bono in helping uh, people uh, get their loved ones released on compassionate relief. Uh, on compassionate relief. We have a great attorney working on that, which is Fred Cooley. You do? You have a good attorney? Yes. Great attorney. Okay, so you have somebody working on compassionate relief. Yes, because they've, they've helped many people. As a matter of fact, I just wrote about... Um, a fellow advocate or somebody I met through advocacy and her husband, they got her husband home last year and he just, he just passed, but he was able to come home and die, you know, with the love of his life. Yeah. He came home May of 2019 and he just died yesterday. Wow. 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 This is what I want to go through. Well, if he gets right for the commutation, I even had appointments set up for him in Fox Chase cancer cancer center, January 5th. Because we were hoping he was coming home. That's what we were yeah. understanding. And get him to get his proper medication, his p- proper treatment. Now, February and March, I go to prison, see him every week. He's not doing good. He's not right. His stomach is swollen, like back when it was back then. His, he got fever blisters all over his mouth. His appetite is dropped. Back then, when he got diagnosed, they didn't take him out that cell room until he threw up all his poop. He couldn't even walk. And he kept going into the, the nurse's station, coming back, and he'll give him something, something, something. So they realized that he threw it all up. He was operated in, in less than 24 hours, diagnosed with colon cancer, third stage. So now he's getting all the symptoms now, again, and we're scared that's going to come back. And if it comes back, it's mortal. Yep. That's why we tried the commutation. Bring him home. Just bring him home. We can't do nothing about the system right now. This is about his life. It's nothing else well, about his life. It is about you don't want his, his family. Don't want him to die alone in the brick walls. Right. As long as he's home, of course not. And he's not. Um, he's he's an illegal alien. So we already accepted the fact that he is going to get deported. We don't have a problem with that. Just bring him home. Yep. Yep. 
Well, my heart breaks for you, Evelyn, and um, yeah, mine does too. Saddened by this, uh, sounds like there may be some options here that uh, uh, Cassie has put out to you. You mm-hmm. have an attorney, very good attorney, as you've stated. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me say our prayers and thoughts are with you and your family, with your husband. Thank you. Uh, that things will go as it needs. Hopefully this show will cause action to be taken uh, immediately mm-hmm. uh, because time is not on. Uh, let me put it this way. The clock's ticking. And like you said, just bring them home. Um, I'm so sorry for this injustice uh, that has happened. Mm-hmm. This man has never been locked up. And that's what just kills me. None of these things are on the table had the system done him right in the first place. And you're forced basically yeah. to you're more concerned about this man's life. This is a man here. The legal mm-hmm. aspect, you can't even really get into the injustice of it because you know what? His, when a life's on the line, I understand. That takes precedence. Right. But I, I feel for him because he also knows he didn't do anything. And he you're in this situation. Right. It's beyond, out beyond your control. No one hears you because your voice, once you're behind that, that cage, I mean, no one hears you. But, I mean, he's that's, tried. that's what, He's tried lots yeah. of years with his, with his deficiency English. He's tried. I have files and files in my room you now from stuff that he tried to type up, and it was all ignored. It was all ignored because he's in there. They don't listen to the inmates. Until I came back into his life a year and a half ago, and we got married in the prison, everything is being known. Like, this is Pedro. He's here. You forgot about him, but he's here. Not even when he got the colon cancer. It was like typically two years sitting in the cell room with a bag coming out of his stomach, treating himself how he could. That is unacceptable. I believe the Montez Act, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is an act that ensured medical treatment. Legislation that was passed many, many years ago uh, called the Montez Act. And that was based upon an inmate by the name of Montez who was denied care. I believe, ultimately dying. Uh, and mm-hmm. there was a cry made. And Cassie, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but that was a, that was a law, a legislation that was passed that all prisoners in custody, federal and state level, are entitled to medical care. And mm-hmm. the fact that this is happening, who is going to cry out about it? You can't let a man die of cancer. In a mm-hmm. jail cell, they don't get, if you're healthy, if you have a cold, they will not treat you. Let mm-hmm. alone get permanently ill. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is sick. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get worse than that. And for this man to suffer, man, to that level, I don't have words. I don't have words. And... um we're going to get to the best we can, Evelyn, by you. I'm going to draft a letter uh, from this organization and see what can be done. See what can be done to get this man home. Go ahead, Dennis. And, uh, Evelyn, I was just uh, wanting to say also uh, understanding uh, that, like you said, you got a good lawyer, uh, but there's nothing like uh, fighting a battle from different fronts. So, I mean, if uh, someone's willing to, to reach out and assist, uh, I would advise take that assistance. You never know uh, how it's going to mm-hmm. come through. Mm-hmm. Get, your, get your husband home. You know, that, like you said, that's the key. 
So, you know, we fight the battle on different fronts and, and no matter what we need to do to do it. But, yeah, I mean, your story is it, – it really, really hits, hit, hits the heart. But we're hoping we went on the in, in September 20th. We went on the port of Barton, port, port of Barton's in Harrisburg, where the lieutenant government is there. There was no opponent. The district attorney from the state of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, recommended commutation because of his condition. Held under advisement. Give him a couple more years in there. Let him die in there. What's going on? What happens if he dies? That's the way they're going to come back to me. You already yeah, took 26 years of his life. Oh, boy. And I bet he would like well, to die that, in his own country, you know? I mean, you're I, in a foreign yeah. land. You know? His wife with his family. I mean, and here's the kicker. He didn't do nothing wrong. Exactly. That's, that's, what, that's the biggest of the tragedy. He's not even supposed to be locked up. 26 years of this man's life from his wife, his family. You took 26 years from him. And then, then when he gets sick and he's hurting, you leave him to die there. Mm-hmm. What is, no what opponent. Is the sister, I don't get it. Brought, the sister of, the, of the victim gave him a testimony. Uh, uh, she testified and said, he did not kill my brother. It's all in the news. I know who killed my brother, but who, they won't listen to me if you're going to inquire. Go Pedro Reynoso says, I know who killed my brother, but no one would listen. I don't Pedro did not kill my brother. So you have the victim's sister. Is yes, that correct? the victim's sister. Yes, the victim's sister. Saying that, that Pedro no did not. He did not kill my, my brother. And my question I know is, it's, go ahead, Evelyn. It's in the news. It's in the newspaper, the Philadelphia Inquiry. It says, I know who killed my brother, but no one will listen. And it wasn't Pedro. Do you know who the district attorney is in this case, was in this case? I'm sure he's no longer there. Who's the district attorney in Philadelphia? The one that's acting it now recommends him to come home. I want you to send me his information, his phone number at his office. We're going to make a call to him tomorrow morning. Uh, we're going to listen to me. I don't know what the just mm-hmm. cause to do. I don't know mm-hmm. what we can do. We're going to do our best to uh, do our due diligence. Uh, in the, to, in the, um, we, had, we took it to Harrisburg. And the lieutenant government's office, Tom Wolf. it was held under advisement. Okay. It was just held under advisement until further notice. Like, we'll give them to you whenever. Send me that in, hey, I want you to send me that information. Text it to my phone that, that you have. I can promise mm-hmm. you from a just causes viewpoint and our position, mm-hmm. we'll do everything we can to make some waves. We know people mm-hmm. on Capitol Hill that we have worked with from that state. We will contact mm-hmm. them. We will mm-hmm. do whatever we can, hopefully, to bring this man home. Uh, and uh, if the district attorney is saying now that he's for bringing him out, well, let's push the issue. Um, mm-hmm. I understand there's a petition out there. Is that correct? Yes, there is on change.org. Okay. I know who killed, I know who killed my brother. He knows. He know, uh, it says he knows who, if you go Pedro Reynoso, you'll find it. Okay. I have it on the okay. Pedro Reynoso. Find it on Twitter and link it up. And there's a petition there to Tom Wolf. Okay. All right. Listen to me, Evelyn. We're going to do our best. I don't want to hold you too much longer. I know it's on the East Coast there. Uh, and after 9 o'clock there, we're going to do our very best uh, to help you any way that we can. We're not an advocacy organization that talks. 
uh, we dig in and we get we get involved with things like this. So please know that, okay? Thank um, you. Thank you. Appreciate I'm so it. sorry. Please understand. Uh, I want to let you go unless you have anything else you want to say to our listeners. I do not want to be respectful of your time, but I appreciate you uh, calling me today and having a conversation. I, I am so glad that you called. And uh, I'll tell you what, we won't sleep, we won't rest. Uh, and I hope, in hopes of bringing your husband home, that is our hope, okay? I just want to say to whoever's listening out there that have their loved ones in the prison system, if you don't do nothing for them in there, nobody's going to do it. That's just right. keep alert on they're, 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 they're human beings and they're, they're living. That's right. That's right. And ladies and gentlemen, I'll ask you. If you, back, have... if you turn your back, everybody's going to turn your back on them. For sure. For sure. Thank you, Evelyn. And to our listeners, uh, let's get involved. If you have any information regarding that situation, that case, contact the Just Calls, contact AJC Radio. You can go on our website. All of our information is there. Uh, Evelyn, I will be in touch with you in the next day. Um, Great. And we will we'll definitely be in touch with you uh, once I make contact with the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office tomorrow morning. Okay? Have okay. a good night. Thank you. Okay. And you take too. care of yourself. You too. Bless you. Bye, Evelyn. Exhale on that one. Cassie, what are you? Heavy. I just kind of the same as always. You know, I have a heavy heart. Uh, Justice has not been served. So the, 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 the victim's family... They have, they have no justice because they have the wrong man incarcerated. How does that serve anybody? That cannot make them uh, feel at peace or have any type of closure without having received actual justice. Well, I think to... I mean, the sister said. Yeah, it, there's overwhelming evidence that this man did not commit a crime. How do you convict a, how do you even go to a trial with the right. man? And why don't we want to get the right person, arrest because, the right person? You know what? Because justice is denied. That is the culture yep. of this country. Under the Constitution, it says a prosecutor can zealously seek justice, not a mm-hmm. conviction. They zealously seek conviction. That's, that's it. That's it. They There's don't care problem. about truth, facts, evidence, nothing. Just getting have, that conviction. Do you have a few more minutes, uh, Cassie? I don't want to keep you too long. I know it's... Oh, are you, no, 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 I do. Yeah, I'm good. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to have some discussions about some other things. Compassionate uh, release denied. Compassion denied really is the true topic. Um, we're going to hear some more from you. I'm going to play some clips for you. Get your thoughts on it. And we're going to, whatever you can do, Cassie, in regards to that young man, uh, please do your due diligence there. I don't know what can be done. I don't know what we can do, but perhaps a few phone calls uh, to people that can make a difference. Um, That's right. Suffering in that jail cell, in that prison cell to that level, and knowing he did nothing wrong 26 years. And then to be hurting and in pain and away from your loved ones, I can only imagine the nightmare that that brings. 
We'll do our very Absolutely best. Hell. This is AJC Radio, continued of our series, Compassionate Release Denied in America's Criminal Justice System. America has lost her way. How do we find our way back? This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experience some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff, but he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855- 529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. How often does our justice system get it wrong convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. 
Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. Almost every day in the news, we hear stories about innocent people who are returning home after spending years in prison for crimes they did not commit. What you may not know is that their problems don't end once the limelight fades. For many, wrongfully convicted individuals don't receive a penny for the injustice that they faced. Take the case of Floyd Bledsoe. He spent 16 years in the Kansas prison for a murder and rape he did not commit. And while Floyd was eventually exonerated, he lost everything his family, his farm, and decades worth of income. Unfortunately, Floyd's story is not unique. Kansas, along with 17 other states, doesn't have a law to compensate wrongfully convicted individuals for the injustices they suffered. And in states with compensation laws, many of those are woefully inadequate. We owe it to all the men and women in all 50 states to provide fair compensation to those who've suffered these injustices. Join me in urging our lawmakers to do the right thing by the wrongfully convicted. Go to innocenceproject.org to find out how you can help. back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we have uh, started to conclude our series on compassion release denied, the cruelty of our criminal justice system, and what we have heard tonight has been troubling, heart-wrenching at minimum, of Evelyn and her husband's story, the wrongful conviction of this man the stage three cancer diagnosis, the suffering behind the wall, and compassion cannot be found. Uh, again, very troubling. As we have dealt with this, we've been honored to have Cassie Monaco join us this week. as She has authored, really, this show, this series, uh, as a result of her discussion of compassion and release being denied. Uh, right now, we're going to bring in Rachel Douglas and Georgie, Georgie is it Georgie Ann? Uh, she's coming on. She was on our show last week. Uh, I believe she had a letter to share of compassion uh, 
uh, compassionate release denied, but wanted to share a letter of some sort uh, in regards to this topic. Uh, we're going to actually have her share that. And uh, Rachel, are you with us? I am. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming back on with us. We appreciate you so much for taking time uh, out of your schedule to join us on this very troubling topic. Uh, I'm sorry, am I pronouncing that right, Georgianne? It's Georgine. Georgine. Okay, my apologies. That's okay. How are are you, Georgine? You're okay? Just fine. Thank you. And you're the one that had something to share regarding a letter. Is that right? Yes. Um, I spoke last week about a young woman who is uh, dying of stage four cancer in the federal prison. Yes. And um, she had written a short letter that uh, I was, you know, going to read if you're interested in that. I'd like to hear it. Thank you. Go ahead. And Rachel, we'll get back to you in a moment. Go ahead. Sure. So at, at this point in my life, I am dying a very slow and agonizing death. The reality of this is that I will go home on compassionate release soon, or I won't make it home at all. I fight every second of every day to breathe. My body has worn down so much just in the past two months that it is truly unbelievable. With all that being said, what more can they really do to me? They are keeping me in here doing treatments that they know are not working. They know this from the blood test for the tumor marker test and the CT scan they did a couple of weeks ago. They see my appearance, breathing, and condition deteriorating drastically, and they continue to turn a blind eye. I have accepted that they do not care. So at this point, my only chances to see that changes happen will have to come from me being in here. If my story is told when I am dead, they will just say it is all a lie and it is hearsay. I am here right now, and there are times I wish someone would come here and interview me so that I can tell my story and they can share it with the world. The BOP has purposefully and neglectfully given me a death sentence. Now they refuse to allow me to go home to die in peace with my family so that I can be treated like a human being. They have done the worst ultimate thing to me. I am 43 years old and I am dying slowly while they continue to pump poison into my body that they know is not working. It is their way to act like they are doing something to help me when they know that the chemo is not helping me. Just another way to justify allowing me to die in here. That's the end. And so she she has received, um, she went into palliative care, I believe I told you that last uh, Wednesday, or Thursday, and um, she now has a new doctor who, treats, I guess, only those in palliative care. And uh, this doctor has told this young woman that she does have less than 12 months to live, which is, um, you know, the the marker for the BOP uh, when they should now support her to be able to be granted compassionate release. So we are waiting right now for this new doctor to prepare, hopefully, 
a, uh, di- a new diagnosis and a series of uh, reports based on the tests that this young woman has had, and so we can present this to the court. Where they can re- they can give her compassionate release on that yes. diagnosis. We we would um, hope uh, to go back to the judge who denied her on February 12th. Uh, and go back with a motion for reconsideration, hopefully before the end of this month, this and um, see if we can, if he will now understand that that she is truly very ter- very a terminal case. Okay, who is the judge? Uh, the judge is um, Judge Reeves in Lexington, Kentucky. I want you to, if you wouldn't mind, send me the judge's name. You have my information, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, send me the judge's name, the division he's in, in that court. If there's a phone number for his clerk, uh, would you please send that to me? Um, I'd like to make sure. a phone call to the court and speak on behalf of this young lady as an advocate. And let's see what happens. Um, man, this is heart-wrenching stuff here. Um, people are pleading for help. And we have a system, uh, unfortunately, that drags and takes their time as time is not on the side of these prisoners, on these inmates. Um, we'll do our very best, Georgine, on this. All um, right. Well, thank you. Please stay in touch with me. Uh, I will. I think we have your cell number. Um, I will text you later tonight uh, with my information as well uh, to make sure you have everything in place. Uh, my email will be on there, and please keep me posted on what's happening. I will submit a letter to this judge and a phone call to this judge. Um, and we're hopeful Cassie may be able to submit something as well uh, to this judge. You just never know uh, what could happen, what could benefit this young lady to get her out of that situation. When I hear, when you, when I hear you read those words, it is a cry for help. It is a pleading of help. And we would be less human to not answer that cry. So we're going to do our best on our end to do what we can. I promise you that. Well, thank you. And I appreciate you taking time. Folks, ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you right now, this is not a production. This is not a movie, uh, a fiction. What we have heard tonight in the last two weeks on this program is tragic. But it is real. As real as you sit wherever you sit tonight, this is as real of of a story that boggles the mind. And I can't grasp it. I can't wrap my hands around this type of cruelty to another human being. I don't understand it. Uh, Don't accept it. It's unacceptable. Yeah, Lamont, like like was said last week, you know, the the thing that's lacking from all the judges and, pe- and personnel involved in, with this compassionate reassignment or compassionate release, I should say, is the compassion. There's none there. You can tell by the attorneys, you know, again, not all of them are bad, but the attorneys that are pushing to keep these people behind bars, the judges, again, not all bad, but the ones that are just holding on to these cases or sitting on them or denying them. I mean, like we said earlier, there's a 60% denial rate, you know, of all the, of all these, you know, applications for compassionate release. So, I mean, and on what basis? Well, I'm trying to figure out 
folks, when people are dying, we're not talking about a cold. We're not talking about a stomach virus. These people are dying. If that does not move people to act in the right way, the human way, just the human way, well, well, to act in that, uh, boy, I tell you what, it is troubling to the point it will take your sleep away from you at night. You know, I, I think this is this is one figure I wanted to share with our listeners, and this was an eye-opener for me. It says, from 2013 to 2017, the Federal Bureau of Prisons received about 5,400 applications for compassionate release. How of many the, How many was that? 5,400. 5,400. Okay. Of those, 312 have been approved so far. Now, this was as of 2017. So What's the three percentage years of that? But but this is the this is the thing that shocks that's shocking. During the same period of time, now they approved 312. During that same period of time, 266 applicants have died in custody. Of the approved, of those that were submitted, 266 of those submitted died died in custody. Waiting an answer. Waiting an answer. 312. And you say the percentage on that is 6%. 6% of the, of the, one, of the applications were actually approved. 6%. That, that is tragic. That is, it's, it's overwhelming. But really what we're talking about here, if you really look at this, once they are in the system, the system does not want to let go of them. Yeah, well, that's, that's the reality. Rachel... Uh, we'll come back to that William in a moment. Rachel, what what are your thoughts? I know you called back into this show. What are your thoughts on all this? And what we want to definitely hear from you as well. So, you know, I as as we were closing up last week, I you know, there's so much more to that story um that I shared with you guys last week, um, in regards to uh my stepdad, Steve. So, you know, mm-hmm. I shared a little bit last week about how, you know, while he was waiting for transfer he had expressed to the medical staff there how much pain he was in. Now, anybody who who has a loved one who has um, uh, cancer of any kind will tell you that the pain that these people go through is excruciating. So they were treating him with hot water bottles and um, and, and sometimes ibuprofen. And... Um, when he finally transferred to Butner, because he was in Butner um, the last days of his life, and uh, we went and seen him the weekend of January 4th, uh, 2019, you know, we had asked him, I specifically asked him, how is the medical care? And he said it was horrible, horrible. Um, they were mean. They were um, just very hardened towards him. Um, There was no doctor present. And mind you, he's in hospice. And he said, and I said, well, can you, you know, do you see the doctor once a week? And he said, oh, no, you better have a reason for seeing the doctor. Like, the doctor does not come to, uh, you know, this facility. He's in a medical facility in hospice, and there's no doctor on call? You know, and, and he made it very clear, like, it, it is an inconvenience for that doctor to come in here and treat us. Who is the you know? doctor? Do you got a name? 
I'm not, you know, I'm not for sure who the who the exact doctor is, but I told Cassie um, uh, that I have, when Steve passed, all of his belongings came to my mom. So I've got letters of him telling her, expressing to her, hey, you know, I'm in pain. This is what they're doing. You know, I don't understand why they're not treating me. And I'm sure at some point I have somewhere in this um, uh, mountain of paperwork, medical papers from him while he was there. But, you know, which leads me to this, you know, um, and, and, and and I've shared this with Cassie because, you know, when you're angry enough, you really just, you you want to do something about it. But, I mean, I sit here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do, you know? So I, I, I just sat there, and I just started just researching and researching. And let me tell you, what I came up with was every single person that has been affected by this in that manner to where medical treatment has been neglectful, we all need to get together, and what needs to happen is we need to hit them in their pocketbooks and file a class action lawsuit. And I tell you that because these prisoners' Eighth Amendment rights, they're violated. These prisoners are violating these prisoners' Eighth Amendment rights. Not only that, but they're inflicting, they are consciously inflicting cruel and unusual punishment, you know, and, and that's considered unacceptable. Absolutely, on the highest standard. And it's due to the suffering and pain or humiliation that they inflict on these people, you know. I just I don't understand. But I, I, I absolutely believe. And, and each prison has their own handbook, of course. And uh, and people can get online. And if they dig, dig deep enough, they can get a hold of it. But, I mean, you know, uh, the ACLU published something uh, in regards to the medical care, and uh, prisons are obligated under the Eighth Amendment to provide prisoners with adequate med- medical care. That sure. doesn't mean just brushing it under the rug and thinking that these people are lying. They have to actually treat the person. They have to treat the person. You know, and oh. like you said, that that's where compassion, it, it, it comes into play, and I just don't think anybody has that. No, I agree with you on that. I want to share this with you guys and to our listeners. It says, court grants compassionate release after BOP says prisoner wasn't dying fast enough. Yeah. yeah. Now, let me share this with you. In a case that demonstrates exactly why the First Step Act included much-needed changes for compassionate release for federal prisoners, the U.S. District Court for the District of Montana granted immediate release to a terminally ill wheelchair-bound prisoner after the Bureau of Prisons rejected his request by saying he wasn't dying fast enough. Shortly mm-hmm. after Steve Allen Brittner was sentenced to 48 months in federal prison for conspiracy to distribute uh, meth, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. He filed for compassionate release but was denied by the BOP because his life expectancy exceeded his remaining sentence. In October 2018, just seven months after his diagnosis, doctors told Brittner his prognosis was poor, and the following month they advised him to stop treatment and start end-of-life care with hospice. When Brittner submitted another request for compassionate release, BOP officials again said his cancer wasn't spreading fast enough. Additionally, they claimed he could still care for himself. His request was denied. But the First Step Act, enacted a month later, allowed Brittner to seek compassionate release from the sentencing court. The federal district court had no problem finding that he qualified for compassionate relief. 
In its objections, the BOP raised the same arguments it used to deny Brittner's earlier request. The district court rejected every one of the agency's arguments, saying that BOP had misread the criteria for compassionate release. First, Brittner did not have to prove his cancer had spread to show he was terminally ill, the court said. The criteria for compassionate release was, does list a metastatic tumor as an example of terminal illness, but that is just an example of merely one type of illness, the court noted. And nowhere does it say anything about life expectancy in the criteria. Further, while the inability to provide self-care is one of the criteria for compassionate release, the BOP's combining that requirement with a terminally illness was wrong, the district court wrote. The requirements are met when any of the criteria are satisfied. The court concluded that Britain posed no safety risk to the community. His advanced cancer was terminal, terminal and treatment option had been exhausted. Therefore, he met the extraordinary and compelling reasons for compassionate release. Accordingly, the district court granted Brittner's immediate release on May 1st, 2019, and ordered the BOP to promptly follow through. Kevin Ring, president of Families Against Mandatory Minimums, commented on Brittner's case, saying the First Step Act reforms to compassionate release worked as intended. However, he added, it blows my mind that the Justice Department, the Justice Department uh, and the BOP fought tooth and nail to keep a low-level drug offender who is dying of brain cancer and bound to a wheelchair away from his family for the final weeks of his life. Thank God for that court, that judge, that said BOP has lost their mind. Do you believe yeah. that? That's encouraging. I do. I do. Right? That, that's the sad part is, is – you know, and there are there are good judges out there. There are, and yeah. you know, there are good people out there in general. But when you hear that, it it almost like you're reading a, a, a fictional story to somebody, because people who who are not on the front lines of this and who have not dealt with the BOP. They have absolutely no idea that this stuff is going on, and that's what's sad. You know, that is probably absolutely. the saddest is the injustice of what is going on in our country. Well, well, listen, we're going to do our very best, um, Rachel. I, I appreciate uh, you. I appreciate Cassie, um, Georgina. I appreciate you. Um, listen, if we if we never came together for any other reason. Uh, this is a cause to come together for. Um, given what that court said, I would hope to believe, uh, Georgine, that the young lady that you are talking about tonight and read her words should qualify to be let out immediately. I, I don't see why that doesn't happen. If it happened here, it can happen right. there. We're going to submit, and I'd like, what I'm going to do is reference this case that I just read to you to the judge and say, Judge, this is what happened. This is what the First Step Act says. This is what it says uh, this young lady is uh, uh, eligible for, and we ask you to move promptly as her life continues to tick away. We're going to press it as hard as we can. Uh, I want to give a very special thanks. Was there anything else, Rachel, Georgine, that you guys wanted to share with us? Um, no. no I'm I'm pretty, I, think, I think I pretty much said it. We just need to hit them where their pockets are. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if if we're going to get them to, to notice us and see us and hear us, 
I mean, that's the only drastic thing that's going to happen because right now they're motivated by that pocketbook. That's why. That's the only reason why they do what they do. I got you. And to our listeners out there, uh, we'll be coming back. We'll be updating you on this case of this young lady, uh, Georgine. Please stay in touch with me so I know when she walks out that prison and is back with her family. We will update our listeners to that. Um, and we're going to fight as hard as we can. I promise you we will do that. Uh, Cassie, are you needing to go now as well? Um, I mean, if you want me on, I can be on or whatever you want. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to release uh, uh, Georgine and and, uh, uh, Rachel. I want to thank you guys. Our prayers and thoughts are with these families. Um, Please know that uh, Just Calls AJC Radio is on your side. We will continue to press this issue uh, as hard as we can, okay? Thank you. All right. Thank you. Please, you're welcome. And Thank you, uh, you guys, guys. Bye-bye. you guys have my contact information. Uh, Rachel, you have my number? I do not. No, I don't. But you okay. can get a hold of me through Cassie. Oh, Cassie we can feel free to Okay, she can pass that information <laughs> on. And we're going to be in touch. And unless we got to stay in touch. That's necessary that we fight this fight together, okay? Um, yeah. You guys have a wonderful evening. Our prayers and thoughts again are with you as we fight this battle of injustice. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. As we have treaded on unfamiliar territory one more time, Uh, the story continues to be heart-wrenching. It is hard at times to hold emotions back as you hear the cries and the pain of these people. But it's our job, and it's for us to do our due diligence as advocates of justice, that we must discuss these issues, as difficult as they are, to motivate us to fight for justice. This is AJC Radio, compassionate release lost in America's justice system. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm gonna give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call one 855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. 
Won't you join us? Call today. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do board chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life. When news and headlines following an act of gun violence fade away, who's left? The families. Gun violence is real. It affects more people than you would ever imagine. Losing a family member is one of the worst things that anyone can ever go through. This is something that's often forgotten, like what happens to the people after the incidents. Although our country struggles to agree on a long-term solution to gun violence, we can all agree on one thing. Any family suffering a loss as a result of gun violence needs our support. Focus needs to shift to the human being. These continue to happen, and more people have joined the club that we didn't ask to be a part of. There's families that are not getting the help that they need. It seems like there's nobody really rallying around the people who have experienced the hardship that we have. So many families in need, and I can really empathize with that. They need our love. Compassion and hope. Life for these families may not get any easier. Their lives are never going to be the same. Ever. But with the support of others, they will get stronger. We can help. The Christina Grimmie Foundation, building a legacy of hope and inspiration. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, as we have reached our conclusion of compassionate release denied cruelty within the criminal justice system of America. I can tell you without question that our hearts have been wrenched in the last two weeks. Our tears have fallen as a result of what we have heard and what we have seen. Make no mistake about it that what we have talked about in the last two weeks is a very small number of cruelty at its worst. 
there are a lot of families, there are a lot of prisoners, there are a lot of inmates that suffer the pain and the hurt of compassionate release denied every single day in America's prisons. It is our job as advocates to stand up in the crowd against such behavior. We have been honored for the last two weeks to have Cassie Monaco on this show to share, to brought really to light the birth of this show, Compassionate Release Denied. Cassie, are you with us? I am. I am, Lamont. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a heavy show, hasn't it? It has. It, you know, it ha- yeah, it has to get out there. Give me your closing thoughts, Cassie. We are up against the clock right now. I want to get your closing thoughts and share very briefly as we close out um, your closing thoughts on this series and the importance of letting the American people know what's going on. Well, everybody needs to know what's going on. It's, you know, it's our moms, our dads, our, our grandparents, our children, you know, our aunts, our uncles, our siblings that are in jail in prison being treated this way and everybody um, deserves proper medical treatment. And like Rachel was saying, it's going against our eighth amendment, the way these men and women are being treated. And also to have the men, the, the family members be educated and to fight hard for compassionate release. The first step back for federal um, has has um, streamlined uh, compassionate release once they have exhausted their administrative um, options or the warden um, has taken more than 30 days, then the family members can go directly uh, to the courts to um, apply for compassionate release. Um, Each state I think is, is different, but just continue to educate yourself, fight for your loved ones, continue educating, um, you know, society. Society oh, needs to know what's going on. Yeah. Well, Cassie, we appreciate your work and all that you do. Um, I don't have words to express. Uh, I just calls AJC Radio our appreciation uh, for you, um, <laughs> for what you do, and working with us and taking time out of your schedule to be part of this program. And uh, as I said before, I'll say it again, you have an open invitation to this show. If there's something that needs to be pushed out there, give us a call. Uh, you're welcome here anytime that we hook uh, yeah. up these mics and go forward. Please know that. All right. Thank you. Thank you guys for always being so gracious and, and being the voice for the people inside. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch offline. Have a good rest of your evening. Okay. And we appreciate you so much. Okay. Thank Thanks you. so much. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Cassie Monaco, what a show tonight of information that we're dealing with compassionate release denied that series concludes tonight until next time america this is ajc radio if tomorrow all the things were gone I worked for all my love I had to start again Today's the day My dad gets out today And we're really grateful to 
President Trump in the First Step Act. I understand that my daddy is very, very, very grateful to be coming home. It's been a very long journey of injustice, but we are very, very grateful for President Trump and creating the First Step Act, and we thank you so much. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free, and I won't. I'm very thankful to God for the first step back that President Trump has given us. Us as African Americans have been waiting for this for a long time, and our brother is coming home. Thank you, President Trump. God bless you. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, and New York to LA, well, it's right in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say. President Trump and the First Step Act. We just appreciate it, you know. I mean, President Obama had an opportunity to help us out. He refused. But uh, remember, your three brothers are still in chains, you know. We still got some guys that need to come out. So we just thank God for everybody being here. You know, this code speaks volumes that y'all out here. We appreciate you, okay? So uh, I just thank God, you know. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless.